Hello and welcome to The Importance of Staying Earnest, where we discuss the elements of taking on a career in the arts as a young person in the modern day. So sit down, stand up, grab a tea or something stronger and come with us on our journey to hopefully find some direction in our lives. My name is Harry and with me is my fellow host and good friend, Emily. How's it going, Emily? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Um, and so today we are talking about working whilst you're starting out your career and hopefully something a bit more lighthearted, some comedy. Um, and as neither of us are particularly qualified to talk about that, joining us is the brilliant Emily Fitzpatrick. Hello. Hello, hello. Pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for just having a bit of a chat, really. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Um, so for everyone listening, would you mind just saying... A little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I met Emily at university, and um, so I started doing stand-up comedy in 2017. Um, so I've been doing it on and off since then. A uh, bit more off than usual lately with the whole <laughs> pandemic. Pretty consistent um, story at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, but yeah, just uh, involved in kind of comedy theatre groups. Um, you know, university theatre. And at the moment, I'm working as a teaching assistant as well. Um, and I've been trying to bring kind of theatre and comedy into that as much as I can as well. I'm sure the kids are loving that throughout <laughs> their homeschooling. <laughs> they pretend that they don't, but I think uh -huh. they do. Sure, sure. I think they do. <laughs> um, cool. So, yeah, like like you said, that at Udium, we actually lived yeah. together for two years yes, while we're at we uni as well. So I know you far too well at this point. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Same. Uh, right back at you. <laughs> Do you want to say a little bit perhaps about how you got into comedy? Because obviously we met doing a theatre course. Do you want to just explain how, how the comedy started? Yeah, so um, when I was in my first year, I literally last minute went to this audition uh, for a play called Dearly Beloved um, by the theatre group Maverick Charles. And I went and I just had to write blast at this audition. Like I just played up being an Essex girl, got the role <laughs> and just kind of, they didn't manage to get rid of me for the following four years. <laughs> um, <laughs> still doing stuff with them. Um, but they started doing um, stand-up nights at Solomon's. Which is a and, bar. Yes, In Manchester. <laughs> and... Um, they said to me that for their opening night, you know, we'd like some women to come perform. We've only got men in the lineup at the moment. You've got some funny stories. Uh, come along and tell a few, you know, just five minutes. And I went down there and I rambled at the audience for about 15 minutes <laughs> and never looked back. <laughs> um, had an absolutely amazing time. Um, and there's, I, th I just think I found something really therapeutic about getting up on stage and just letting everyone laugh at things that at the time would have really upset me <laughs> um, and just making light of those things. And yeah. now, yeah, I'm still doing it um, years on. So, um, well, for Harry's sake and for people listening, if they don't know you, so Fitz, um, you've always been a storyteller. Like you're the sort of person that amongst a group of friends, you'll always just have a story for every situation. <laughs> I try. Um, but the funny thing is, is that most of them are true or at least based oh, on yeah. truth I know that you elaborate them sometimes for for the sake of your sets and whatnot effect. but um so yeah I feel like as someone who knew you going through that process of starting to do stand-up it kind of yeah. felt like quite a natural progression of you telling your friends these stories to to an audience I suppose um, yeah I mean it's it's really strange um I was saying today earlier day who's in your fault lines yeah. Who you also live with, nice who plug, I thanks. still live with. Um, nice plug, you're very welcome. I can't wait, I know nothing about it, can't wait for that play. Um, <laughs> but I was saying to them the other day, you know, like when I was at sixth form, I was like the quiet one in the group. I wouldn't say a word. Um, and then some, for some reason at university, probably because I started drinking... <laughs> <laughs> I started Jesus. to, yeah, um, I started to be like, you know, at parties, oh, that reminds me of time, blah, 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 blah. And people would laugh. And just the mm. feeling of that, like, oh, they actually enjoyed that. Or here's another one. Um, and basically just taking that on stage and doing that on stage was kind of a natural progression of it, I suppose. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, uh, they are all true, my stories, most of them. 
think that some of them are embellished, obviously, for comic effect, or I'll kind of fiddle with the timeline or something. Um, but yeah. kind of the bare bones of them are true. <laughs> I think You're it's just, because... I don't know how all this stuff happens to you, honestly. I think it's because I'm originally was at sixth form whereas where quite a few of these stories happened um was kind of a very quiet awkward person so I Mm. didn't really know how to say no to things so I would just kind of end up getting dragged into weird (laughs) and wacky misadventures okay so Um, just for anyone listening who's not heard your stand-up that doesn't necessarily mean anything inappropriate just oh um, no bizarre (laughs) just kind of bizarre accidental nudity at Disneyland that kind of thing yeah <laughs> all accidental promise there's um, a slightly ongoing joke about um I remember you telling us this story once about how your swimming costume fell down when you were at Water Park once yes um, it did we then ended up so going to University of Manchester we're not a million miles away from Blackpool um and there's a water park in Blackpool and I had borrowed my mum's car for a bit and so we were like let's go on a day trip to this water park in Blackpool so we went and what do you know what happens <laughs> um you stood under a waterfall I believe and it didn't go so well for your modesty no and you know what I did a stand-up set about that oh, really? in December yeah just a digital one from my living room um, and I did three stories of me accidentally losing my top at water parks and that was like the second story what was the and, third? Uh, my boss was watching. Oh no! <laughs> and it was the first time my parents were watching stand up as my stand up as well. Oh. Um, so I'm just there, you know, in front of my iPad on Zoom to a bunch of like silent audience members telling a joke, and just kind of waiting for the laugh and not getting it, but just getting like clap emojis in the chat. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing. Um, and then just kind of seeing my boss's name pop up and being like, oh, okay. Um, luckily for me, she's, you know, awesome and very cool and uh, enjoyed it. Or so she says. <laughs> Good. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So the idea of trying to transition, because stand-up is brutal. As far as I can yes. tell, stand-up is absolutely brutal. And that whole relationship that you have with the audience can turn sour real fast. Absolutely. So, but similarly, not having an audience react how does that how do you go about do you change anything to do with what you say or how you say it or do you have is it is it you can't really read the energy of what the room is at all how do you go about trying to adjust your routine or I your wish I feeling? knew ah <laughs> I brilliant. wish I knew no um yeah it's really weird there's a lot of my stuff I try to do quite a lot of audience participation um Ooh. if only just because you know, it fills time and they <laughs> love it. Either they absolutely hate it or they love it. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> but usually, if, the per- if one person hates it, usually the rest of the crowd loves it. So it's kind of, it's, it's a pretty um, calculated risk, really. Um, but, you know, I, do, I don't really, you know, make fun of audience members. I'll just kind of get them in on the joke or keep referring back to them or that kind of thing. But obviously, when you're on Zoom, <laughs> you can't really do that. Um, so it was just this really weird thing of I'd tell a joke and then would just wait and would be like, oh no, I just need to carry on. And then had the really odd experience of afterwards having to read through the Discord chat or the um, Zoom chat (laughs) and just seeing people's real-time reactions after the fact. Really weird experience, you know, because if you're doing a theatre show um, or if you're doing live comedy you're in the moment you can tell whether or not they're enjoying it you can change you can change subject you know if you can tell that they're not really into it or not really following along with you but um you know digital gigs just aren't the same I did this gig at the frog and bucket and it was so good like I've been trying to perform there for the longest time um and it was a digital gig I was performing live from the venue and it was streamed home And I was on stage in the comedy club and there was just a big screen, like a flat screen with the Zoom call in front of me. And I had an earpiece where I could hear them laughing. But it was a 10 second delay. Uh, Oh my, oh my, oh my. (laughs) I'd be like, hi everyone, I'm Fitz, blah, blah, blah. 
wait for a joke, it doesn't come, start talking, <laughs> and it just starts playing over myself talking. And then I lose my joke. It was so bizarre. But, you know, you think of the way that people are adapting yeah. to what's going on at the moment. The fact that live comedy can even happen, albeit in a really different, quite strange format, is fantastic, really. For like and most it is a people. good idea to have that sort of like earpiece in, but I suppose it would work a lot better if there wasn't a 10 second delay. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, I tell a joke and then carry on with the joke and then hear the laugh to the first part that's a bit flat that originally would have told me, ah, just skip the rest. Yeah, so it's it's a really weird thing to kind of adapt to. What's um, worse, having no laughter and just clap emojis or 10-second delayed laughter and a bunch of people staring at you from a flat screen? That's, that's a difficult one. I think it's got to be the clap emojis. I think I prefer the clap emojis. <laughs> The clap emojis is more like, like dystopian techno future to me. Yeah. <laughs> the idea that none of them are actually True. laughing. They just like appreciate. True. <laughs> One of the nice things about that gig um, on the Zoom with the emojis was that I had my phone on me and my dad was watching me do stand up for the first time on Zoom. And he always said that the first time he saw me, he was going to heckle me. And he was, I think he was probably a bit gutted that he couldn't heckle me because it was digital. But he found a way. He adapted as well because he was just texting me his heckles. <laughs> so I was doing stand-up comedy and I'm just getting texts from my dad going, you're bombing. <laughs> or have you brushed your teeth today? Your breath smells awful. <laughs> and I'm, you know, meanwhile, over 300 miles away. Um, and I stopped the gig halfway through to read out his texts. And honestly, I think it was the best moment of the gig. But that's oh, the thing. I, I think the digital nature of it does kind of stop the spontaneity aspect. Mm. And that's kind of where I do some of my best stuff. Um, when I get to be a bit spontaneous and, you know, have a laugh with the audience and create little inside jokes. Mm. So that's something I really miss and something I can't wait to get back to with live gigs. For sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Just having people in the room. Yeah. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned earlier, you also work as a teaching assistant. I do. Because um, when we, well, we left uni at the same time. Yeah. And we, well, we're both Southerners and we've both found ourselves back in Manchester. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm, I think I moved back maybe only about one or two months before you. Yeah. Um, and well, I suppose we both just sort of found ourselves as most people do after they graduate <laughs> of needing a job, particularly if you do make that decision to move out for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and I was just wondering what your experience of like finishing uni and thinking, do I move out? Do I stay with my parents for a bit? What am I going to do for work? Kind of thing like. Yeah, it was really strange because I think, you know, I, <laughs> I finish uni with a £2,000 overdraft. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> All spent wow. because I'd used it um, for our Edinburgh show. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so basically I'd kind of, in 2018, was like, you know what, I'm just going to have the best time and future Emily can sort this out. <laughs> and for, future Emily has actually already sorted it out. Well done. Um, it's all paid off, yeah, it's all paid off. I mean, off. I guess That's not being able to spend money during a pandemic might help. Absolutely. That also, is exactly doesn't that why. make future Emily now past Emily? <laughs> oh, God. Meta, that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I left uni. I was like, need to get a job. And my friend, Freddie, you've met Freddie. Yeah, um, we love Freddie. We love Freddie. He is just the best. I've known him since we were in year seven. And he's worked at the Theatre Royal Haymarket for years and years. And he said to me, you know, they're hiring. And I think within a week of leaving Manchester after finishing the degree, I was working at the Theatre Royal Haymarket as an usher for Only Fools and Horses, the musical. Yes. <laughs> Which was just <laughs> the most bizarre job <laughs> in the world. <laughs> um, but also just so much fun. Had an absolute blast. I've seen Only Fools and Horses the musical genuinely probably about 70 times. <laughs> um, and I love it. It's a really fun show. 
Um, but, you know, kind of got to a point where really wanted to come back to Manchester. Um, Maverick Charles, who I spoke about earlier, the comedy troupe up here, who kind of got me into doing stand-up. Um, I applied to direct their next show, um, got it, got to do that. So I had to come back. So I came back to Manchester in September uh, 2019, <laughs> just before the world started melting. And just did odd jobs for a little while. I was an extra in 2084, which was like a futuristic 1984 show at the Central Library, which was really, really cool. Um, and just a really odd job to have. But I was looking for something kind of more solid and something that appealed to me. And for ages, I joked about how if you do English um, at university, everyone thinks you're going to be a teacher. <laughs> and to the point where I have a stand-up set about it. <laughs> and, you know, my CV was up on um, LinkedIn and stuff. And I got, an e I got a phone call one day. Um, from an agency saying they were looking for TAs, especially in English. And, you know, did I want to come along and have an interview? And I did. And I started working at the school that I work at uh, January last year. And I was meant to be there for three weeks. <laughs> and I'm still there. <laughs> and, ah, yes. Um, yes. But that's not to say that I'm stuck there. I genuinely... I'm still there because I really love my job. Um, you know, I, I started off um, making jokes about how if you do English, you're going to be an English teacher and that's what everyone thinks. Um, but I actually am going to get my PGC <laughs> because Woo! I've just fallen in love with it. I've absolutely <laughs> fallen in love with it. So there you go. I am um, my own punchline. I've yeah <laughs> become my own punchline, which is absolutely fine with me. That's what I've been all along, really. What I'm going to say, life. what's new, hun? <laughs> I've always been my own punchline. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, some you've told me various stories, and I think well, you sent me a clip as well the other day of ways that you've found of um, sort of like injecting your other passions into your teaching as well. I suppose particularly yeah. with English like when you're teaching plays and stuff, like ways that you've found to get creative and, and to bring your your other talents into into the classroom? Well, I definitely try to. And I think, you know, um, you realise at uni, um, or at least I certainly did, that English and drama a lot of the time are inseparable. Mm. Um, Shakespeare is drama. It's not meant to be read. No. And, you know, I'm teaching assistants, so I don't teach, but I get to cover classes now and again, which I love. Um, and I just have a really good time winding up the year 11s. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I do get to cover, um, I'm really lucky that the teachers at my school just have such a passion. And I'm sure that all teachers do to some level. But it is so noticeable that these people just are so passionate and believe so much in what they do um, that I've just gone in there and it's just completely infectious. But, you know, I got to cover a class um, and the teacher was coming in and out because she was doing um, speaking and listening assessments. I got to read the last five scenes of Macbeth with this Ooh. class. It was up to me to run this reading. So kind of she leaves and I'm like, right, up on our feet, let's get casting. And we cast the play. <laughs> And probably, you know, 10 minutes later, I take on Macbeth. I pick out a Macduff from the class from someone who's behaved well. And about five Give minutes later... Give yourself there, all right? Yeah. Well, you know, I've got, <laughs> I've, got, I've got to get my drama in somewhere in the pandemic. And if it's, you know, waxing lyrical with Shakespeare to a bunch of 16-year-olds, <laughs> that's going to be what it is. Um, it's brutal. It's like, we're going to read Macbeth, yeah. kids. I'm Macbeth. None of you Too get a look bad. in. bad. <laughs> All the others are up for grabs, but I, me, we, I'm well, usually the main. Usually the main teacher will play Macbeth. So I was like, right now it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm taking That's this me. myself. Um, but about 10 minutes later, she walked in, you know, probably expecting her class to be sat at their desks and Miss Fitzpatrick is reading out Macbeth to them. And she just sees <laughs> me and this boy up front having like a socially distant sword fight <laughs> and then him miming cutting off my head. <laughs> She must have just been like, oh, God. <laughs> but you know what? We had so much fun. 
and the next day we did a quiz and we're like, so what did Macduff do to Macbeth after he killed him? And the kids all in unison were like, cut off his head. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, we, I try to make it as kind of theatrical <laughs> as I can, when I can, um, on the rare occasions that I'm trusted with the children. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it really is so much fun. And it's nothing really that the teachers I work with wouldn't do already. Because right. they, you know, they know the plays are meant to be entertainment and that they're not meant to live on the paper. It's meant to be live in space and time. So they try to bring that to it. So I just kind of ride on the back of that. But I suppose I'm just extremely willing to make myself look like an absolute idiot. Um, <laughs> but which the kids seem to uh, agree with and seem to absolutely enjoy it or at least i hope yeah especially in the case yeah. of shakespeare like i really really like shakespeare if you asked 16 year old me do you like shakespeare i probably would have said no because my only experience mm. of it was just a brick of barely legible english being yeah. recited to me while i kind of sat taking notes about just what the teacher told me it was about um, yeah mm. and the reality is is just as you say it's like shakespeare's brilliant in oh, its performance, no. not necessarily in its... It's not an audiobook. <laughs> no, no, exactly. I hate reading Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. I, you know, ran the Shakespeare Society at uni. I going to say, I, you were the chair? I, I did, I chaired it. Um, I go to see Shakespeare as much as I can, obviously not at the moment, but, you know, I I'm, I'm properly love it. hate reading it cannot sit down and read a Shakespeare play for the life of me really struggled to do it because for me I need to hear it and I need the emotion behind it otherwise I actually really struggle to make sense of it even so I think you know these are 16 year old kids it might be their first maybe second exposure to Shakespeare and yes of course there are other playwrights um, far more diverse playwrights far more modern playwrights but, you know, it's undeniable that it's a massive part of our culture. And for these kids, this might be, it might be their first and it might be their last exposure mm. to Shakespeare if we really muff it up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, because mm. I think a lot of people, um, particularly when they're thinking about like starting a career in the arts, they sort of think about different jobs that they could do to sort of help financially support themselves yeah. while they're making their way up to, um, you know, do, do whatever it is they want to do full time. Um, and I think a lot of people end up sort of falling down the track of perhaps like, um, customer service, like working mm. in restaurants, pubs, bars, that sort of stuff. Um, because they find like zero hours contracts actually quite helpful sometimes in terms of if they need time off because they book a gig or because they have an audition or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I was just wondering how you found going into full-time work and how you've found that in terms of balancing that and then also the comedy and, and everything else that you enjoy doing? Yeah, I mean, I think um, what's really good about teaching, and I mean, again, I'm a teaching assistant, so I don't have to do any planning or marking or anything. Yeah, of course. Um, but what's really good about my job is that, you know, I show up there at quarter past eight in the morning, I do my morning duty, I do my five, you know, lessons... I go home and then it's 4 p.m. and I have mm. the evening. Um, so, you know, before COVID, um, I was doing this play with Maverick Charles. So I literally would finish work, go home, pick up my stuff, get changed, go to the venue, you know, go straight home, go to sleep after the show, repeat, or, you know, have a cheeky pint or two <laughs> or three or four. Um, <laughs> But it is, I think, you know, the best thing about it for me yeah, genuinely is that even during COVID when I've not been able to do anything socially creative, um, I can still at work because especially with English, um, you know, I think it's inherently creative anyway because, you know, you have to be creative to come up with your own readings and to get your head around some of these texts. So I get to be creative all day, every day. 
and then go home and rather than feel drained I actually feel recharged creatively to go home and be able to do something that is for myself um which has been really lovely I think it's a really good option um even if you don't end up you know thinking okay this is what I want to do I want to train I've decided that I do want to do that because I feel that it just makes sense for me because of how much I found that I love it and I Mm. really do truly love it um so yeah I think I think it's you know it might differ from subject to subject but some of the teachers that I work with I was saying to um today we did uh like a school masked singer so (laughs) loads of teachers got involved and like our faces were hidden but we were singing and all the kids got to guess and it was mostly like science and maths teachers who were getting involved (laughs) and doing it um just I think you know being in an environment where you're with kids all every day you do have to be part entertainer because you need to keep those kids engaged it's a performance in itself in its own way and I would love to see you teaching. I just, <laughs> <laughs> knowing you from, I think particularly because obviously I know you from university, which is a very particular setting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like having lived with you and stuff, like you are the sort of person who, like you can be quite clumsy. Like you, ha- you have a tendency <laughs> to leave things around the place. Quite um, is very generous of you. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, honestly, one of my standout memories from third year is... I can't remember which essay it was you were doing. I don't even but, know what um, you're going to say. You were often a sort of all-nighter kind of person to get essays oh, yes. done. Last and minute. I remember coming down in the morning and so sort of in our third year house, you had to walk through the living room to get to the kitchen. So I was walking through to go make my breakfast before I went to uni or whatever. And um, I walked through the living room and you were just like <laughs> sprawled out on the sofa, surrounded <laughs> by like books and pages and your laptop. Um, and you just sort of looked up at me half oh and loads of empty monster cans and you looked up at me half dead and just sort of went do you want to know the worst bit it's not even done (laughs) and I was just sort of like oh my goodness right okay I'm gonna go make some tea um and just like walked into the kitchen and just immediately reversed and just looked at you and you turned at me and just went oh yeah I made some bread (laughs) and in the kitchen there were just trays of like those sort of part-baked rolls that you put in the oven everywhere and most of them had just like bits torn out of them I was just I have no idea what happened to you overnight Em (laughs) that sounds so much like me and the worst part about it is that yes I know that that's true because I remember but I don't remember what essay it was because it could have been about eight (laughs) But the thing is, I also, because I know that you're such an intelligent, capable human being, despite that side Thank of you, you, I'd just be so intrigued to see what you're actually like, like in a classroom in front of kids, being the, the responsible adult. Well, it's so for the last two months, I've been in the building every day, um, supervising year 11, um, mm. because the building is still open to the children of key workers. So... These year 11's really great bunch, um, but at the same time, I've been trying my best to support the lessons that I would if it were a normal school day, mm. because those lessons are obviously still going ahead, and uh, it's all over like Google, like Meets and stuff. So I'll try and log on with the year eights, and I'll be on with the year eights on my computer, and the year 11's are around me, and a lot of them, you know, don't have me as a TA in their classrooms. And I'll log on. I'm like, hi, everyone. It's Miss Fitz here. Did we all have a nice weekend? Tell me what you got up to in the chat. They're all giving me dirty looks. These year 11's like, you are too peppy. (laughs) 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 This is not not what we need on a Monday morning. (laughs) It sounds a bit weird that you sound um, like some kind of strange, like, e-girl streamer. (laughs) Like, asking chat and just... It's combining those two worlds in my head just seems quite surreal. I was, I was going to make a joke about like donate to my stream, but like, <laughs> find me on Patreon. I don't. I don't know if that's something you can do. Yeah, Patreon. Oh, God. Well, going back to the sort of stand-up side of things, um, so obviously, like neither me nor Harry have done any stand-up. I don't mm. think I'm about to either, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, 
And I mean, I don't know about Harry. I don't want to speak for you, but like, it's not I don't like... know that much about sort of how you go about getting gigs when you're starting out and sort of how that all works, I suppose. See, really I was really was. lucky in that I knew Hugo and Jack, who run Maverick Charles, because mm. they asked me to do this uh, comedy night and then I was kind of a mainstay there. Um, and then I started doing gigs through the Drama Society, um, oh, through yeah. Hive. I think um, I dragged you into those. Yeah, which, thank you for doing it, because You're it was most great. welcome. Um, great to do. Um, but apart from that, it has been a lot of just kind of going online, searching for open mic nights. Um, last summer, I managed to do some socially distanced gigs um, in Deansgate. Yeah, they were fun. Um, they Yeah, they were really good fun. Um, so hopefully I'll get to do that again when they can reopen. Um, but a lot of it is just kind of, yeah, just going online, looking up open mic nights. Um, for the Frog and Bucket, I was on a waiting list for like, God, probably like two years. I mean, I remember be us, us being in Malaga and I was getting yes. emails from the Frog and Bucket, like, do you want a slot tonight? Because it's, you know, your best chance really is like getting a cancellation or something. I really lucked out with the one that was the other week because they were specifically looking for um, nearby comedians. And I live right. really close to the comedy club. But yeah, it's, it is just kind of a matter of one, who you know, and two, just trawling through um, like forums and stuff or you know th there's like a website called open comedy where you can kind of upload a profile and they'll email you about open mic nights and there's been quite a lot going on at the moment because obviously all mo open mic nights currently are digital mm. so distance isn't really a factor in where you can perform as it would have been once so it's kind of limiting and liberating and the same way yeah um, that's cool um it's interesting How, on the like open mic nights is it usually just a sort of yay the, the if you get to do it it means you get a slot at this thing or like do you actually ever get paid for open mic nights or is it you get paid by you get a pint paid for you or i so when I did the open mic night at the Lion's Den in Deansgate, which yeah. is a great open mic night, um, it's a mix of all kinds of things. So you can go and do whatever you like. So mm. I was performing with a couple of other comedians, uh, a lot of singer-songwriters, some live spoken poetry, which was awesome. Um, so it's a real mixture and you didn't ever really know what you were going to get next. Um, but I would, you know, get a free pint at the bar and then... Um, on the first night, um, they were like, oh, it's a competition. At the end of the night, they were literally like, oh, it was a competition, by the way. Um, Emily won, well done. And I got £20 and I was like, oh, which I then went and spent at the bar. <laughs> like, that's thing. I've been paid um, kind of like a profit share um, mm. for some gigs, that, that like the Maverick Charles gigs. Yeah, which the first time that happened. Yeah. Um, and again, it's it's never really enough that I get to take any home <laughs> because, you know, um, once I have consumed a unit or two, I'm like, shorts for everyone. Um, I get a bit generous. So uh, my, my tenor, my tenor from the from the hat uh, doesn't stretch that far beyond leaving the bar where I've been performing. But you know what? That's absolutely fine with me. It and, pays um, for your night out. Exactly, exactly. And it's that's the thing. A lot of the time doing comedy, um, it's just a really interesting way to meet people as well. Mm. Because I'll get up on stage and just tell a bunch of strangers my life history and all of my like intimate business. And then I get down there like, hi, my name is so and so. So what was that you were talking about? X, Y, Z? Is that true? And I'll be like, yes. And then we'll get talking. And it's it's a really interesting way to meet people. Mm. So if like most sort of gigs while you're starting out, it is, you know, maybe 10, 20 quid from that mm. or a couple of pints at the bar. I guess I was just wondering like what the process is to sort of build momentum and step that up. Because obviously there are people who are full-time comedians, but I, yeah. I guess does that sort of happen if you get enough of a name can sort of book your own shows, I suppose? 
Yeah, I mean, I can't pretend <laughs> that I know too much about what it's like to be professional, like big time, because, you know, like I said, I'm a will do 20 minutes, get paid a tenner and then spend it all at the bar kind of gal. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I'm asked uh, fairly often after gigs, you know, do you have a Facebook page? Do you have this? Do you have that? And I don't. <laughs> um, and part of that is because, you know, the nature of my job. Um, mm. you know, I want to be careful about what I put out there. Um, but also, I am perfectly fine with being at the level I'm at so you know I enjoy just going up there and having a go and I think I've had a review written about me one time um for the Mancunian mm. um which is about my Spongebob set oh yeah um <laughs> which and it was a great review like very 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 um very grateful for the review I got but you know um a different outlet if they came for a few probably absolutely trash it you know and it's I do it as a hobby and I'm, mm. I'm more than happy to do it as a hobby um but yeah I think you know from what I've seen and heard you know you you save up to go to Edinburgh you do the open mm. mics at Edinburgh Fringe um if you've got a show at Edinburgh Fringe then you know <laughs> you've got it made really yeah um but I remember being up there and seeing, you know, comedians who had big solo shows doing free stuff, like free gigs, like roast battles and um, like free improv shows. Mm. And it's just, you know, I think people think comedy, oh, you get up, you tell a few jokes, you get famous, <laughs> you know, oh, I could do that, tell stories. But it's such graft to mm. like... It's all the hustle alongside it, I guess. Yeah, Absolutely. And at the end of the day, I'm probably too lazy to like make that my main source of income. But for me, it's just such a joy just to do the thing. I guess that's such like a nice place to be at. Cause I, I don't know if you ever felt this way, but I know I did both like at school and at uni and stuff. You know, when people sort of say like, oh, what are you going to do? What's the plan? You, yeah, like what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. And it almost felt like are you not being successful if your sole income mm. isn't from that thing that you love doing? Yeah. And I guess, you know, that's not a measure of success of your art, whatever that may be, whether that's stand-up, theatre, um, writing, whatever it is. You know, it's coming to a place where you get the opportunity to do it or you make the opportunities mm. for yourself to do it and then you know if you end up making a career out of it great if it ends up being something that you do in an evening and like you say it sort of pays for your night out brilliant yeah, yeah. I think yeah I completely agree um, and what I've kind of come to realize in the last year is there just there's something really to be said about just being contented with what you do um, mm. ambition is fantastic but also, there's just something to be said about being contented. I have my job and I love my job and I'm able to do put a little bit of the things that I do for free into the thing that I'm paid for. Mm. And that is just an absolute joy to me. And then I get to go home and do the things that I love as well. Yeah. And you know what? That is just at this point in time, maybe in a year, two years, I want something more. Um but, you know, I'm looking to train as a teacher and I think that's going to be the something more for me. Awesome. I think, yeah, I think, thank you. I think um, there's just something to be said about that, about just being like, you know what, the things that I love um, will always be the things that I love. And if I'm not making money from it and it's not the only thing that I'm doing, that's okay. Mm. You know, I think, you know, I'll be happy doing Amdram you yeah. know, there's there's a lot less pressure doing Amdram <laughs> than if I were, say, a professional director or actress or what have you. Yeah. Which I think, you know, the simplistic nature of that is something that's maybe not talked about much, you know, when you're at university mm. and you've taken directing courses and this and that and looking at practitioners and 
which is all fantastic, amazing stuff and stuff that I loved so much. But also, I'm content where I'm at now. You know, that's not to say that I want to stagnate or want to be here forever. But the world is incredibly strange right now. Yeah. And I've got to do something that I love, both in work and outside of work. And that's enough for me Mm. right now. And I think, you know, wherever you are, if you can reach a point where you can find some good in that, I think that's, you know, there's something to be said about that that maybe you don't really think about that much when you're younger. Mm. And it's interesting as well, isn't it? Because when you're starting out, you know, your stand-up comedy, your acting, whatever it is, you're not doing it to earn money. You're doing it because you love doing it. Exactly. Um, And while I think it's important to find a job that, you love um Mm. and you know get really get something out of that doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing as your hobby yeah it's you know like I said earlier I got to do Macbeth with the kids and I was like you know oh you stand over there and you're Malcolm and you stand over there and you're Macduff and I want you to be really angry it's directing I was directing them they weren't actors they were 16 year old boys but (laughs) I was directing them and you know they did the scene I was like right now you try it again but a little bit more this a little bit more that it's what I do in the rehearsal room Mm. if I was directing a play but yeah you know like being able to bring that into something that's you know kind of ostensibly completely different um has just been joyous to be honest like it's so nice especially when I've been missing that part of myself during the pandemic like I've not been able to do any of that um kind of in its purest form in the rehearsal room doing it in a classroom it's not that different you know um the only difference is rather than a performance at the end the kids will you know fingers crossed if I've done my job properly have a better understanding of the scene well I think that's (laughs) a really good point to move on to our final segment where we like to play Lovely. a little game with the people Ooh. that come on. Um, so this one, normally it's sort of just one brief that we give to people um, and we get them to take us through their thought process, take take us through what they'd do if they were given this as a brief. You kind of have a two-parter fit. Ooh. And you can um, blame Emily for it. She wrote it. Yeah, I wrote it. So <laughs> if you don't like it, blame me. Um, but sure yeah, Harry, do you want to take us through it? Yeah, sure. No worries. So you have been asked... Uh, to do a gig and they want a rough theme to the night so they've asked everyone to create a set based around work and the workplace which is actually quite fitting considering how what we've talked about all, all today yeah. um it's so like the, pri- the primary part would be just give us give us a few minutes on 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 how you think you'd go about crafting that set oh god okay so what i usually do is I will tell true stories, uh, usually embellished a little bit for comedy, but I'll ha- I'll try to have an overarching theme for those stories, like a through line. So, for mm. example, I'll tell stories and get to rate, uh, get the audience to rate them out of ten on like how badly I handled it or something like that. Um, so, you know, if <laughs> if it's my job at the moment, obviously I'd be extremely careful about the stories that I would tell. Um, but for example, if I was talking about my job um, ushering. Uh, I'll use that instead. You know, I'd talk about maybe five, I'd think about five really weird audience interactions I'd had, like leading people to their seats and stuff, which I have. Old men love to flirt with young usherettes. It's really, really quite unfortunate. So I would probably would just sit down and think, right, what's the five or, you know, however long the set is, three, four, five weirdest stories from my job from that workplace and then think of some weird ways to get the audience involved so that they felt like I was taking them along on something. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I make my sets. Nice. So the follow-up to that, in which Ooh. case, is then, so you're, you've, you've, you've gone about it, you've, you've figured out the stories that you want to you wanna tell. Uh, you're up yeah. on stage, mic in hand, lights on, and you look out and you see that the mem- some of the members of the audience are your <laughs> work colleagues people you interact with from work fantastic what's your what what are what are like the the the, what is your brain process what are you what are you going to do with now that you have that information um in regards to your set 
So that is a really good one. So, you know, I am careful about the kind of stories I pick. So I would never pick a story that kind of put anyone else in the firing line or, Mm. you know, um, really made anyone to look really awful you know maybe you know a silly story about someone but I'm never going to make anyone look terrible I'd probably just go straight ahead and do it (laughs) and I'd probably be like and guess what he's here tonight (laughs) get to stand up and give a wave and get everyone involved you know boo him (laughs) but um like I say uh if it was at my current job they'd probably be cheering him (laughs) cheering him on they're just a bunch of champs well after people complete our little game, we give them 30 seconds to do any kind of plugs or, you know, telling people how to find you on Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc. But obviously I'm aware that because of your current job, you probably don't want don't. to broadcast what your <laughs> social media is. Would you still like 30 seconds of airtime to talk about whatever you want? Um, if your friends will be on Facebook and I say that I've got a gig coming up, have a watch of it because it's literally just me taking the mick out of myself for five, ten minutes and you probably won't be able to look me in the eye again but also it will boost my audience and hopefully boost my laughs. So <laughs> Boost your clapping emojis. Nice. Boost, boost my clapping. I thought you were going to say boost my clout. I was like, Harry, I have no clout. <laughs> I am devoid of clout. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, come along. Uh, if you know me already, come and see a gig. And if you ever kind of happen upon, you know, a gig list with my name on it, buy a ticket um, and watch me dob in all the people <laughs> and take the mick out of myself. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you Lovely. so, so much for coming on to chat to us today. Oh, no, it's been I really pleasure. enjoyed it's it. Been, yeah, it's been really good fun. Um, and yes, I well hopefully I will see you again in person very soon. That um, would be great. I think it's a really poignant point um that she made about the fact that a lot of people we've had on here already obviously are very much looking to to take careers in in and and that's what this podcast sets up sets up to do. But the fact that she's found a passion in teaching and just loves doing stand up like every moment that she talks about yeah I get paid a tenner and spend it at the bar I think probably it's one of the healthiest perspectives that we've had on um just doing stuff for fun and oh 100% and actually knowing fits from being at uni to leaving uni and, and where we are now when we left uni she was very much I'm going to pursue a career in this and so it's been interesting seeing that shift in her when she's gone through this process of realizing it's really hard to make a living out of doing this and actually because it's so hard sometimes it's not enjoyable anymore um and so I think for her she realized that and I she really didn't expect this but when she started teaching um and she kind of touched on it you know she kind of thought it was a bit of a joke but she loved it and she found that her passions are in that as well and that she's completely happy making her money through doing that and leaving the stand up and, and everything else to to be something that she just enjoys and that's a great thing and isn't that why we all started mm. doing these things anyway and i think it's also important to for people to realize that it's okay to think that you're going to go down one path and then decide actually in reality that's not as for me as i thought it was going to be i found this instead and and this this suits me better so that's what oh, i'm yeah, going to do it's super important to be able to have that not carry any guilt for wanting to change your mind on something like as as long as it's done yeah. you know in a way that you're happy with you don't want to be forced out of something by um anger or regret or something like that and even so you can also go back right like there's nothing yeah. there's nothing stopping it, her from I changing mean, her mind again like we're very flexible we're what like 22 23 yeah. we've got plenty of time you know, to change our minds pursue other things try other things exactly um, you know exactly and that's important what, what, what we do now isn't set in stone i think i think for me the only important thing that i believe personally and obviously this might not apply to everyone else but is that i wouldn't want to regret not pursuing something because it was hard and that's that's by no means any disrespect to what fits no, at I, all i have the utmost respect i don't for think her. that's why but, um, she's doing it either and i think that's the main no, thing of like not. i think she's very healthy in the position where she's like no i genuinely love teaching and that's 
you know, mm. wasn't her intention, but she has the maturity and, and um, self-reflective nature to say, yeah, I'm going to go for this. And there's nothing saying that she won't yeah. in the next two years, three years, turn around and go, no, I'm going to pursue stand-up some more now. Or even 10 years, you know, there, there's no... Um... Ain't no timeline on success, Emily. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> we can do it whenever yeah. we want, hopefully. Nah, it's... I, I found it really refreshing actually um it's yeah. i think a lot of the conversations we have had and will have will be very much the kind of like things are going to be hard things are going to be tough the grind and it's really nice to find have a conversation about someone who's like i'm really very happy with the position that i'm in and what can what can occur from here is is only upwards um and i think also fitz has definitely a very different attitude to both me yeah. and you and hers is far healthier oh yeah. oh yeah but i think both me and you are really conscious of like but we need to do it now and that there's there is a time <laughs> when there isn't it's just our own heads yeah, annoying we are us. our own worst enemies. um and and i think for me that partially comes from knowing well at this particular stage of my life my only financial commitments are to pay my rent and put food on the table and so for me i've been like oh this is a really good time for me to explore the yeah. things that are perhaps quite hard to make a living out of um and I have no plans for, for that to be changing anytime soon. But I also know realistically in X amount of years, things might be different and I, I might have a mortgage or, or all sorts of other things. Um, whereas I think Fitz feels a lot more relaxed and I think that's probably a good way to be. Yeah, as far as I can, uh, I can tell, probably something to be said for um, taking life as it comes. But... Um, We'll see. We'll see how I, th I think, you know, I've had a couple of things about my mind changed and we'll see what, what happens going forward. I probably won't change very much, though. Let's be honest. I'm, I'm an idiot. And that's where we're leaving the podcast for today. But very quickly before you all go, as Fitz mentioned it in the podcast, Fault Lines, our radio play is out now. Um, you can buy tickets until the end of May. Do go check it out. Uh, and yeah, you can find tickets on proxemics.co.uk. See you next time. Thank you for listening to The Importance of Staying Earnest. If you want to keep up with us outside of the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TIOSE underscore podcast or on Facebook at The Importance of Staying Earnest podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at TIOSE.podcast at gmail.com. Please drop us a review if you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.